Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live, featuring Dr. David Wilson, we move closer to the conclusion of our study, Knowing and Growing, from 2 Peter. In this week's message, Peter exhorts scattered believers who've grappled with things like persecution, false teachers, and a longing for Christ's return to stay the course. Turn to 2 Peter 3, verses 14 through 16, as we hear, Don't Quit, from Pastor David Wilson. We are very blessed to have the kind of music we have here every week. And it just prepares our hearts for the Word of God. If you'll open your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. You ever thought about what your last words would be? No, I don't know that these are the last words of Peter, but they're the last recorded words of Peter. Because after this letter, he probably within a year was put to death by the Romans. And so when you come to the last words or last recorded words of someone, you want to t pay close attention. And he's been talking about the Lord returning and false teachers. And he's concerned about the younger Christians coming up. And of course, all of these Christians are under persecution. So he's trying to encourage them. And so I, I summed it up in two words, don't quit. Don't quit. Before we look at this passage, I want to tell you about Ned and Fred. Many years ago, they were walking to town going to see the latest John Wayne movie at the theater. And on the way, Ned told Fred that he was willing to bet $5 that John Wayne would be killed in the movie. Well, Fred said he'd take that bet, so they traveled on down the road. And sure enough, the Duke was killed near the end of the picture, and Fred handed Ned $5. On the way home, Ned told Fred that he felt guilty for taking the money because he had actually seen the movie the week before. <laughs> and Fred just smiled and said, no, nah, you can keep the money. I watched it last week too, but I didn't think them fellers could kill John Wayne twice. <laughs> We've been given a little insider information. We know the end of the movie. We know the end is coming. We know that the Lord's going to return. We know that there'll be a day of judgment. There'll be a millennial reign of Christ. We know that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So we know the end. And some of us are ready for it to happen. Some of you may be going through a difficult time in your life, and you're ready. It's, Lord, you just missed a good opportunity this week to come back. You're thinking, I'm ready. Let's end this thing. Push the button. But that's not what God's going to do. In fact, the word therefore in verse 14 tells us that based on what all that he's just said, now here's how we're supposed to live. And I don't want you to miss the word beloved. He uses that word four times in chapter 3. It means divinely loved ones. And he's reminding them that they are loved by God. And it also shows his heart how much he loves them. 
And no matter what you're going through this week, no matter what you're going through in this stage of your life, don't forget how much God loves you. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't abandoned you. And the, and the trouble that you're going through, it's only for a brief moment. It may seem like a long time, but compared to eternity, it's only for a brief moment. Don't quit. How do you keep on going? And if you're going to tell the, the believers who are going through persecution and, and you're trying to encourage them not to quit, well, Peter mentions several things. First, he said, we are to keep looking with confidence. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things. Looking forward. What are we looking forward to? A new heaven and a new earth. These things will come into being. And the, and the words looking forward are in the present tense, indicating that we're continuously looking. Looking. We're looking for him to come. Now, when you know somebody's coming, you act differently, don't you? Oh, let, me, let me get it up a little closer to you. When you have company coming, do you change anything at your house? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we hide stuff. We clean stuff. Come on in and look how perfectly we live when y'all come into our house. And then when they leave, we drag out all that other stuff that we didn't want you to see. She's not in here. I'll tell you, one time my wife... Hid. No, okay, this is kid. She hid the toaster in the oven. <laughs> and after the company was gone, she forgot it was in there. Guess what we were buying pretty soon? <laughs> it came out in a different shape than it went in. But when you know somebody's coming, you act differently. Reminds me of a young pastor. It was his first church. He was probably in his 20s, and he was visiting an elderly lady in the nursing home. And in the course of the conversation, he said, ma'am, at your age, you should be thinking about the hereafter. She said, I do all the time. No matter where I am, in my room, down in the cafeteria, down in the recreation room, I ask myself, what am I hereafter? When you think about what's coming, it makes a difference in how you live. And that's why Peter said, you're looking forward, continuously looking forward to the Lord returning in the new heavens and the new earth. C.S. Lewis wrote these words. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. We don't act like anything's going to happen. We don't act like Jesus is coming, and so we just become ineffective. But, folks, it's going to be a place where Jesus rules and reigns. It says in Revelation 11, even Handel put this to music when he said, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, forever and ever and ever. Now I've put that in your mind. You're welcome. <laughs> You'll be thinking of that the rest of the day. He shall reign Revelation 21, it writes about, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. I heard a voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God will be with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be there, be their God, be with them and be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death death. 
or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. If you're a follower of Christ, you're looking forward to him coming. We were even taught in the model prayer to pray, thy kingdom come. We're looking forward to the kingdom of Jesus. I believe Jesus is going to handle the world a lot better than our government's handling it. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. (laughs) Keep looking with confidence. That's why you don't quit. I know he's coming. But even though I know he's coming, in the meantime, we are to live with conviction. Look at verse 14. Be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. The Lord did not give us prophecy so that we could draw our charts and sit around wondering when Jesus was going to come. Obviously, he gives us signs that it could be imminent. It could happen anytime. But we're not to sit around waiting for him to come by just talking about prophecy. Prophecy was actually given to motivate us to love his return, and to look for his return. Joseph Stoll said, when we begin to believe the reality of the other side, we will start behaving differently on this side. Now, Peter mentions a couple of ways we're to be living. First of all, we're living with conviction means that I'm going to have a conscientious conduct. I'm consciously going to be conducting my life a certain way. In fact, the word be diligent means to be earnest, to eager to do something hurriedly. And it's it's an aorist imperative command. And basically, Peter says, be intensely diligent right now. Did you ever have your parents tell you, I said, do it right now. You only, it just took you but once to learn not, I mean, to obey that, didn't it? I mean, if you didn't obey it, well, that's basically what he's saying right now, right while you're waiting. Paul wrote the same word in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Be tenacious, be diligent, work on this. I think it summed up well the definition of that word in this prayer. Lord, give me the tenacity and determination of a weed. (laughs) Weeds grow everywhere. I grow such a good crop of them. You see, there's a passion for godliness and for holiness in the heart of one who's been born again. It does not mean a believer is perfect, but the believer has a heart to pursue righteousness and holiness in a life that is in keeping with the new life that Jesus gave to us. He mentions three things. Well, first of all, don't miss the words found by him. The word found by him means to be laid bare, the idea of being exposed. In other words... When he comes back, let him catch you doing these three things. Let him find you doing these. Let it it be exposed that you're involved. These three descriptions, these three characteristics, the first one's peace. 
The word peace originally referred to binding or joining something together that had been broken or divided. To put it back together. To set at one again. It's the opposite of being at war. And and to live in a harmonious relationship with God. To be at peace with God. Now we know that the only way to be at peace with God is through Jesus Christ. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You don't deserve it. But Jesus paid the price for our sin. Died on the cross. Rose again. And so now when you repent of your sin and God forgives you, you place your faith and trust with Jesus. God washes you clean with the righteousness of Jesus and you have peace with God. But the second question would be is, are you in fellowship with God? Most of you, well, all of you who have been, uh, that are married or who have been married have probably had a disagreement with your spouse. Am I right? Yeah, I know I'm right. You don't have to say amen. I know I'm right. Now, Somebody in that deal is going to have to confess or apologize, and then you make up. The fellowship is restored, but you don't have to go get married again. Oh, you're married once. The fellowship has a dynamic to it. You're saved once. But the fellowship with God has a dynamic to it. And when you are convicted of sin, sin as a Christian, the Holy Spirit's convicted you and you're hiding it or you're in private sin or whatever. And and there's no peace with God because you're not right with him. And that's why 1 John 1, 9 says to confess your sin. And he is faithful. And the word's continuous. He's continuously faithful. He's continuously just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And we restore that fellowship with the Lord. And Peter is saying, look, when the Lord returns and he exposes you, be in fellowship with him. Which means you've got to confess sin in your life. Can't hide it. But, But that word peace also means to make sure all your horizontal relationships are okay. Hmm. Now, I know everyone in here knows somebody that's gotten on your last nerve or has offended you or has done you wrong. Everyone in here, everyone in here has been done wrong by somebody. Am I right? Can I get a witness here? That's a horrible place to say amen, but it's true. All of us have been offended. So are we supposed to stay offended the rest of our life? Why? Because Jesus told us not to. And, and Peter said, when the Lord returns, he wants to find you at peace in fellowship with God, but he wants you to find you at peace with your brothers and sisters. It's amazing. It's amazing how many health problems, how many psychological problems, how many Emotional problems stem from people not forgiving somebody. I didn't say they were all that. Don't misunderstand me. But it's amazing how people will go all through their life remembering every offense that's ever happened to them all their life. 
Some of y'all grown up around here. And you see people that you went to high school with. Yeah, I remember when they did that to me. My soul, you were in the 10th grade. You're still mad about it? I know people like that. You know somebody that you're at odds with, you see them in the grocery store, you're going to make sure you're on a different aisle from them all the time. You see them coming, you're headed the other direction. That is not being at peace with other people. And to forgive somebody, it costs you, it costs you something. They can't ever repay, they can't ever unhurt your feelings. And I'm not saying you have to be best friends with them, but my folks, my folks, you need to understand, you need to be at peace with them as much as it concerns you. They may not have anything to do with you, but in your heart, you have forgiven them. And you're not going to let that dictate the rest of your life. Peter said, when the Lord comes back and you're exposed, let him find peace in your life. You know why, folks? Because our lives are so short, it's just not worth it to hold a grudge the rest of your life. You'll be miserable. He also said to be spotless. I know that he had in mind the spotless Lamb of God who was acceptable sacrifice for our sin to God, but he's contrasting the behavior of the believers and the false teachers that he calls back in chapter 2, verse 13, stains and blemishes. He said, you're the real deal. You need to be spotless and blameless. Live in such a way that no accusations can be made. There's nothing shady. You're not hiding anything. Be out in the open. And blameless doesn't mean perfection. It just means that your sins are forgiven in Christ. And on a human level, it means that you make sure that you're living a life that is conducive to show that the Lord has saved you. Don't give people with outside the kingdom of God a reason not to come to Christ because of you. So we live with this conscious conviction and determination and conduct. I want to live for the Lord. I want my life to represent Jesus who's coming back. But it also means that we have a compassionate concern because look at verse 15 and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Now look at verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. But is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has a timeline. He knows when Jesus is coming back. He knows when he's going to hit the reset button. He knows when this world is going to be burned up and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. He knows that. But he's waiting for people to come to know him. Aren't you glad he waited on you? You see, a lot of times we get to feeling sorry for ourselves and, oh, Lord, I'm having so many problems. Why don't you just come on back and solve all of this? It's as if Peter is saying, don't get so caught up with your own problems that you're crying for the Lord to come back and bail you out, but you're forgetting about the lost. Folks, no matter what you're going through, no matter how much pain you're in, no matter how much sorrow you're going through, no matter how much difficulty you're going through, I'm not negating it or I'm not looking at it lightly by any stretch of the imaginations, but I want you to think about something. 
Nothing you're going through will come close to being as bad as what a person without Jesus Christ is going to face when they die without Christ. And so you can put up with it a little bit longer because Peter reminds them that the slowness or the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation to those that are coming to Christ. And it also tells us that we need to tell others about Jesus. Okay, now I'm going to give you a safe place to say amen. Not yet. (laughs) Has Jesus ever done any good thing for you? When's the last time you told someone? Just tell them what Jesus did for you. He forgave you of your sin. He gave you a new life. He's given you purpose. You have peace with God. You got a whole new family. He's done a lot of good stuff, hasn't he? Why don't we tell people that? Because sometimes somebody's gotten the idea that in order to bring somebody to Christ, you have to convict them of sin. You know what? That's not your job. Holy Spirit does that. And some think, well, I've got to convince them to be saved. No, the Holy Spirit does that. But share what Christ has done for you. Nobody can discount that. And if he hasn't done anything good for you, then you need to take another look. Because he's done a lot of good things for you. If you won the Publishers' Clearinghouse Sweepstakes or the Reader's Digest or whatever you entered, if you won that, you'd tell somebody, wouldn't you? And that's just money. But look what Jesus has done. And we're supposed to have a compassionate concern for those of our family, of our friends, our work associates, all the people that are going into eternity without Jesus, as mad as I am as some of the people that pass some of the bills they pass that are anti-God and anti-life, as mad as I don't, as I get at them and as much as I don't like them, I have to remember they need Jesus because a person who follows Jesus, a person who loves the Lord is pro-life. I don't care what you say because God is pro-life. And you take sovereignty of God in your hand. Well, I'm just not going to go there for right now. I, I would be too long. A compassionate concern. Yeah, I don't like some of these folks, but I have to remember they're lost as a ball in tall weeds. They are. They don't have a clue. They're in darkness. They may be religious, and some of them will claim to be religious, but they haven't been taught the truth, which leads me to the third thing. If you're not going to quit, you're going to keep looking, and you're going to keep living, but you're also going to keep learning with comprehension. Look at verse 15. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of Scripture. Now you have the Apostle Paul mentioned here. This is really interesting 
Because here Peter is saying, look, you've already gotten some letters from Paul, some epistles from him. He's saying the same thing I'm saying. And the reason is because the same Holy Spirit is guiding him to write what he's been writing just as he's told Peter what to write. And he said, Paul didn't have this wisdom because he's a super intellect. He was more educated than Peter. Peter was a fisherman. Paul studied under the Gamaliel. He was a smart guy and he had a, a pedigree along. I mean, he was a Jew's Jew. Instead of a man's man, he was a Jew's Jew. By race and by his intellect and by his schooling, by his religion. But Peter said, Paul's telling you some of the same things. And here's what he's trying to get across. A couple of things. If we're going to remain steadfast and not quit, you've got to stay in the word of God. And he tells us that learning involves careful consideration and compliance. Now, let me make this short. We know that Peter mentions that Paul wrote some letters. Now, earlier in the book of 2 Peter, Peter is writing to the Christians in Asia Minor. And we know that Paul has already written some letters, and we can put two and two together and know that those three letters, at least three letters were written by Paul to the Christians in Asia Minor. They were Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians. So we don't know which letter he's referring to, but he's saying, Paul's telling you some of the same things that I'm telling you, but don't miss the word that he says, our beloved brother, Paul. Amen. Now in the book of Galatians, in that letter, in chapter two, we see where Paul publicly rebuked Peter. And yet Peter still calls him a beloved brother. Now, we know that Peter, when it came right down to it, would side with the, the, um, the Jewish side of the legalism, and he'd kind of get in that bunch that said, well, yeah, you can be saved, but you've got to become Jewish first. You have to be circumcised. You have to go through the legalistic system that we have, and you can be saved. And Paul confronts Peter and said, Peter, that's not right. It's only by the grace of God you are saved, and it's for everyone. You don't have to become Jewish in order to be saved. We don't know what Peter's talking about when he says it's hard to understand. Obviously, there's some parts of Scripture that are hard to understand. It could have been that Peter didn't completely understand how grace really worked. The fact that, you know, I mean, I don't have to, to be part of it, to earn it. And, and I mean, I know Jesus saves, but still I've got to do some things to stay saved. Or, I don't know what he's talking about. He doesn't, he doesn't make it clear. But we do know that sometimes things are hard to understand. But that doesn't mean you skip them. I want to tell you something that's not hard to understand, and that is salvation. It's crystal clear. It's only through Jesus and him alone. It's only by the grace and mercy of God that he allows us to be saved. But that word hard to understand also means hard to accept. Are there any parts of the Bible you'd like to tear out? Be nice, wouldn't it? Especially that part about forgiving other people. That's hard. I'd like to tear that out. Yeah. 
There's some people like to tear some other parts of the Bible out too because it doesn't fit their lifestyle. Peter said, you know what? You are to carefully observe the writings, the same writings that Paul wrote, the same things that I'm writing to you under the inspiration of God. It shows the reliability of scripture. But he said, some of them are hard to understand, but carefully consider them and study them. And the ones that are hard to follow, you need to comply with them. Folks, we are not supposed to take the word of God and make it fit our life. We're supposed to fit our life to the word of God. Amen. According to the wisdom given to Paul. hard to understand it's hard to live but go back to that word diligent work on it right now now he tells us another facet of learning with comprehension is that you've got to use continuous caution and clarification because did you notice the scripture twisters in there he says in verse 16, there are untaught, unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of Scripture. The word twist, sometimes translated distort, is a word that was used when somebody was tortured on the rack and his body was twisted and distorted. The unstable and untaught take the Scriptures and twist them and distort them. Now, I know you filled in your last blank, but stay with me just a few more minutes because I got some stuff worth writing down that I didn't write down for you. I want you to understand that false teachers will use Scripture. They just take it out of context or they take a passage that's seemingly very difficult to understand and they will twist it to make it fit their life. Henceforth, you have people today who are sitting in all kinds of houses of worship that are not being taught the truth because they don't want to offend anybody. Second of all, some people are going to try to twist it to fit their life. Reminds me of a man who had a, a, a nice collection of art. And it was hanging on his wall in the office. But every morning he would come in. And one of those pieces of art was the Leaning Tower of Pisa. But every time he would come in, that one painting would be twisted on the wall. And he would turn it back. And this went on for a month. And finally he had to work late one night. And when he did, the cleaning crew came in for that office complex. And the lady came in his office. And he said, ma'am, can I ask you a question? Are you the one that's turning my picture? She said, yes, sir. Because the only way that I can get that tower straight is to turn the picture to crooked. <laughs> well, in a similar way, some people have the habit of twisting scripture to make their sin and their imperfect lives look better or to justify their own opinions. We're supposed to approach the word of God seriously. Now, let me tell you how I believe the interpret, the, the, um, the correct way to interpret the scripture. I use the literal, historical, grammatical way of interpreting the scripture. Now, what do I mean by that? 
Literal means normal. If you were to pick up the newspaper and it says across it that there is a freeze coming across the state, a cold wave coming across the state, what are you going to believe? Some of you wouldn't pick it up and go, well, that means that people have turned their cold hearts to the Cowboys because they didn't win last week. <laughs> no, you're going to know, folks, it's going to be cold outside. The literal. Historical, you have to look at a passage of Scripture. Let's take the woman at the well in John. Why was that woman there in the middle of the day? The hottest part of the day. Why was she so shocked that Jesus spoke to her? Well, historic history will tell you when you look into the background, because of the lifestyle that she was in, she could not associate with or did not associate with other people who came in the morning or evening in the cool part of the day. She came so nobody would hassle her because she was living an immoral life. She was a Samaritan. Jesus was a Jew. That was a shock because they hated each other. Not that Jesus hated her, but the Jews and the Samaritans. And the fact that Jesus was a rabbi, even speaking to a woman in the in the public was a, something that the Jewish rabbis just did not do. Now, you wouldn't know that if you didn't read about the history of it to help you interpret what was going on and what a miraculous thing that Jesus did in the life of the woman at the well and how salvation is for everybody. And then the grammatical part is we began to interpret and look and say, why was this word used? Because I believe every word of the scripture is inspired by God. And sometimes words mean something that have lost their meaning in English. And what does this word mean? Why did he use this structure of sentence? What is being modified and so forth? What is the grammar of this verse? And how does that apply to you and me? You take all three of those things together, depending on the verse, and you will accurately divide the word of truth. But don't take this stuff that you see a lot of where they just read one verse of scripture, they'll pick a word and then they'll say, well, now here's how the Holy Spirit tells me that this is means for us today. I want to tell you, there's a lot of things in the old Testament were promises given to Israel. The church did not replace Israel. And those promises aren't the same for you and me. For one thing, there, well, I know I, I've got to hurry. For one thing, there were different laws given to Israel, ceremonial laws. There were national laws. There were moral laws. The moral laws haven't changed. Ceremonial laws definitely have. And the national laws definitely have. And so you take that and you say, well, how does that apply to us? Well, there are applications for our lives today, but you just don't go pick a verse. And there are some people on television that do that well. I got to be careful. I'm on television now, <laughs> but I'm not like those guys. I promise you, cause I'm not making a dime off of television and I don't want to. There's one guy by the name of, I'm not going to tell you his name. His initials are BH. You figure it out yourself. He can take one verse and go make so many new, new revelations from God from that. And that is baloney. 
There are other people who say, well, you know what? If you'll just sow a seed of $1,000 into our ministry, God will get you out of debt in three months. No, he's not. He's not going to do that. That's not what that scripture says. We honor the Lord, obviously. How the Lord chooses to give back to us or how the Lord chooses to take care of us is his business. But I don't give like I invest in retirement. I'm not giving so God will give me more money. Where's the heart in that? What I'm trying to tell you is, folks, just because they use Scripture, you need to be continuously cautious and clarify what they're doing. Don't take everything I tell you at face value. I I don't want you to. I want you to look at the Scripture, and I also want you to realize this, that without the Holy Spirit... I cannot teach you the word of God because the Holy Spirit is who tells you the truth. First John says he teaches us all things. He will tell you whether I'm telling you the truth or not. I don't claim to know everything about the word of God. In fact, the older I get, the dumber I feel. Because I know, I don't know. But I do know it's written down, and I do know that we can take a cautious, careful consideration of it and see what God's trying to tell us. But you make sure that people are handling the Word of God correctly. Do not take it at face value. I said earlier, the Bible may have some places that are hard to understand, But don't quit. Don't quit looking. Don't quit living. And don't quit learning. The Bible is crystal clear when it states, and Jesus states, that he is the only way to be saved. You can be a Baptist and be lost. You can be a Catholic, be lost. You can be a Church of Christ, be lost. You can be a Methodist, be lost. You can be a Presbyterian, be lost. I can't name them all, but just trust me. You can be anything you want to be and still be lost until you know Jesus. You repent of your sin, God will forgive you. You place your faith, that is your trust, in the one who can save you. His name is Jesus. Only Jesus. I think we sang about that, didn't we? Would you pray with me? Thank you, Pastor David. As Peter closes in on the end of his second epistle, he not only implores Christians not to give up, but to look forward to Christ's return with confidence, to live with true conviction, exhibiting godly behavior and compassionate conduct, and to continue learning as students of the Word, being cautious as they seek to understand it properly. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.